so much freedom available to us that we can meet and gather in your name without fear. And um, Lord, it's just, it's, it's just a privilege to come and to, to open up this, uh, your word and to listen to it. And I pray today that you'd help us to have our listening ears on, that we would just, that, that our, our hearts would be open and that there would be a way in which your word could come into our life and that, um, you know, the truth in it, the power in it would be, would have an impact and that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds to receive something from you today, Lord, that will, that will um, you know, be a gift to us, be a gift to our life, be an encouragement to us, uh, that would give us hope. And um, Lord, this is, this is why we meet. And so I praise you for that and pray that, that would be true in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing on. If you didn't know, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes and we're continuing on our way uh, through that book. And um, I want to continue to remind you that while this book is a bit of a difficult read at times, you know, we can read it and wonder, gee, this is a bit odd. It doesn't seem to really match up with other parts of the Bible. Why is it in the Bible? You know, um, you wonder what was the author thinking when he wrote this book? What was God thinking when he put it in the Bible? You know, we get all these type of um, thoughts when we read through it. However, it's in there. And I want to remind you of the promise of 2 Timothy 3.16 which says, actually, I'm going to read it in the message version. We all know the the NRV or or the the more common versions, but the, the message says, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is why we meet. This is why we have the Bible, because there's nothing like it for showing us the way to salvation in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God breathed. And, use, and useful one way or another for showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. I thought that's a great way to put those, those four things in, t- in uh, this verse. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. So every time we meet, this, I just think this verse gives us purpose for meeting together, it gives us purpose for reading our Bible and studying it and opening up every part of it and trying to learn about it. Because it, when we do this, the Holy Spirit puts us together, shapes our lives in a way that we can face the tasks that God has for us every week. And I'm not, not talking about some sort of big, big purpose in life, like that type of task. I'm talking about the everyday tasks of life. This is the value of the Word of God, right? And we're so blessed to have it. And so um, that's a pretty good reason to gather together, pretty good reason to open up the book of Ecclesiastes today again, pretty good reason to continue to meet and to, um, and to value the time that we share together on Sundays. And so I want to keep reminding us of that because it's important, okay? So Let's just quickly recap last week. Um, We talked about how there are two types of wisdom in the Bible. And this is pretty fresh news to me, to be honest. Um, I hadn't really considered it this way before. But what we found was that we need both of these two types of wisdom. And um, 
I think, I think understanding this is going to shape our future messages about it from Ecclesiastes as well. So the first type of wisdom we learned about was the wisdom of Proverbs, right? If you've read the book of Proverbs before, the wisdom we receive from it is kind of like this. It's like the product of generations where thousands of years of generations um, of, uh, of people have put these formulas together for us, tried and tested formulas for life. Like, um, you know, if you're lazy... Uh, you're not going to be wealthy, right? Pretty, pretty common, makes a lot of sense. If you're diligent, you work hard, you will be wealthy. Life will go well for you. So there's a lot of like um, X and Y equals Z, you know? And they're like, they come across as like hard and fast rules to live a good life. And yet what we also found and what we've probably experienced is that um, the proverbs, these formulas, aren't actually promises from God because what we've found is we've been diligent and, and we're not as wealthy as we thought we were. Or we, uh, you know, we, we've um, tried, to, tried to live a good life and we've tried to seek wisdom and we've tried to do all the right things and yet still we find things in our life are broken and not the way they should have been and people fail us and we fail ourselves and others and all of this goes on, right? Life on earth feels a bit broken at times. And so it seems like the brokenness of this world seems to snatch the, the, the results that Proverbs says will happen, right? Living that wise way. And this is why we believe there's two more wisdom books in the Bible, which is the, books, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job, right? And these books serve as a reminder that there will be times in our lives when these wise formulas from Proverbs which we apply and should apply, don't actually work. It doesn't work out the way that it's said. And it's because they're not, they're not promises from God. They are good rules given to us. They're great to follow. They're good formulas. They're gifted to us um, by God. But we need to remember that they're not actually promises. We can do everything we know is wise and right and still something goes wrong. Still there's things in life that don't add up and we're not able to fix Right, And that's we can all say, yep, that's been our experience. And the core of last week's message was that um, I'm so glad both types of wisdom exist in the Bible, right? I'm so glad that God says, um, you know, your faith doesn't have to be derailed if you experience brokenness, right? There's, it's like God caters for that in your life. He, he's, he's aware that that's part of the human experience, and, um, and what, was God's, what was God's way of showing us that he's aware of that? He sent his son Jesus to suffer and to be broken and to go to the cross and to live this experience with us, right? And to have people betray him and to live a wise life and a perfect life and yet still, um, still go through suffering and rejection and, and all of those things that we experience. And so this is just so important I wanted to remind you again and give you that recap. Um, it's an important part of our faith and, and becoming mature Christians, people who, who aren't shaken in our life, you know, when, when bad things happen. So let's move on. You remember that um, much of the book of Ecclesiastes is about this wise teacher telling us all of the ways he's tried to find meaning in life, right? All of the ways he's tried to say, you know, this is it. This is the reason why we should live, you know. And so he goes through a various um, number of things, trying to find meaning and satisfaction. And he starts out the book, the first, first few verses, he's basically saying, look, I've tried it all. I've tried everything, guys, and it's all meaningless. You can't find meaning. And you're sort of like, 
hit, hit by that. And then he goes on to say, I tried to, he goes into greater detail. I tried to find meaning in wisdom. I tried to find meaning in pleasures. I tried to find meaning in riches and toil and work and advancement. And at the end of it all, he just says, nah, it's all meaningless. If that's going to be your goal, it's not, not the answer. And so this week, he's telling us that pleasures are not the answer, right? And so this is what we're going to look at today. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you can open up there if you have your Bibles with you. If you've got your phone, you can open up your version app or whatever you, whatever you read in on there. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 1. The teacher says to himself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, you know, to find out what is better, if there's anything that's actually meaningful. And he says, but that also proved to be meaningless, right? And again, I want to remind you about that word meaningless. Hopefully it's starting to be drilled in by now. What does he mean when he says meaningless? Well, it's this Hebrew word, hevel, and he uses it 40 times throughout the book. So it's important that we get a hold of this. It stands for anything that's futile, anything that's empty, anything that's absurd, frustrating, anything that is temporary or fleeting. He says everything's, um, you know, hard to make sense of, you know, and he says this is, this is the same thing for pleasure. He illustrates the word by saying everything in life is like a puff of smoke. You think, oh, that'll be the answer. That'll give me meaning. That'll give my life, you know, something to hold on to, a foundation. And just as you see it, you grab a hold of it and it's gone out from within your fingertips, you know, and um, you can't actually hold it just when you thought you'd understood something. And so it's from this, dis- this position of despair that, um, and this desire for meaning and this, this hunger for being able to hold on to something that he says, hey, the pleasures of life, the pleasures of this life, they're not the answer, guys. They're not the answer. That's, that's Hevel too. That's, you can grab at that all you like and in, in the end it, it'll just disappear. It's, it's futile. Pleasures are all meaningless. Right? We always come to this like really low feeling when we read through Ecclesiastes. And it's worth noting that as we read through this passage, um, you know, if a Hebrew person was reading it or a Jewish person, they're no doubt led to think of the life of King Solomon, right, as they read through this passage, if not to, led to believe that he was the one who wrote it, right? Many people think he wrote or had part to play in Ecclesiastes. And it's because if anyone in all of Israel's history was wise, it was King Solomon. He's the figurehead of wisdom. He, was, he had all of the riches. He had all of the pleasures he could ever want, right? 700 wives, it says in 1 Kings 11, and um, 300 concubines, right? That's a lot of, uh, of women in your life, I'm just going to say. And, um, and he had all the riches he could ever want, um, you know, kings from far you know, far around, kings and queens would all come and visit him. He was like the, he was like the main man, you know. He was, he was a pretty amazing character. Any, anything he could ever want at the click of his fingers. And so with that, he concludes that he's the right person to tell you if um, pleasures are meaningless, right? He's like, trust me, I had it all and I can tell you this. This is what he concludes after, after that type of credentials. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He's talking to himself. But, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. 
my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. You know, so one commentator said he tried to recreate the Garden of Eden for himself. You know, I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart, he says. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So this list of credentials are second to none here, right, for someone who might be able to prove that pleasures are meaningless. And at the end of them he says, yep, I've checked it all out. At the end of the day, if that's going to be your drive and reason for living, as, as not actually worthwhile. That's what he says. So once again, we get to the end of a passage in Ecclesiastes and we feel like there's something missing from this guy's worldview, right? Like it doesn't connect very well with the Christian understanding of, um, you know, God made us to enjoy life and there's uh, lots of good stuff about life and there's lots of meaning to life. And, and um, yeah, and there's, you know, a worldview that includes Jesus' life, death and resurrection, you know, We don't feel like this matches up. And so there's a couple of things we're going to have to do to sort of bridge the gap between us and this this passage, right, to be able to understand it. The first thing we can do is have a look in the rest of Ecclesiastes, right? The Bible speaks to itself in this sense. That's that's something we need to remember. There are a number of times when the teacher of this book of Ecclesiastes invites us to find satisfaction, happiness, enjoyment, and gladness in our lives. Right? And not only this, but the teacher says that if someone does have any pleasure or happiness in this life, he says that's a gift from God. He says if you experience pleasure, satisfaction, joy, he says, man, God gave that to you. That's, that's a gift from God. And so while our passage tells us that pleasures are not the end goal of our life and should not be the way in which we find our ultimate meaning and significance in life, he's on the other hand not a killjoy either. Right? He's not saying, nah, you just got to live a plain life. Don't seek out pleasure at all. He's not saying that. He says, enjoy your life. Enjoy all of the good things in life and find pleasure in it. In Ecclesiastes 8, 15, just as an example. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil and the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Right, so there's that sense in which he's not saying, ah, it's, you know, we shouldn't experience pleasure, right? And before we go on um, thinking that we're not allowed to enjoy our lives, let's remember that God actually created us to experience pleasure as well, right? He actually put hormones in our bodies 
that make us feel good, right? Some people who've done any sort of health studies, biology, you might know some of this. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, all these wonderful things inside of us that God put there, right? So that when, when we see a sunrise and we, and we smile, you know, that's because of these things that God has put in our body, right? Helps us to feel good, to enjoy f- good food. I just, I just love good food, you know? <laughs> it's just not a, lot, not, not a lot more enjoyable things for me. I, that was like part of my family culture is like food is like life, you know? <laughs> and so I love good food and good drinks, you know, being able to share that with other people to be able to be in awe of creation. Like you climb a mountain and you just see forever. You know, you see the horizon all around you and you just go, wow, that's awesome. You know, this is, this is something that God made us to do, to be able to enjoy the warmth of a campfire. You know, you know how you can just sit and just watch fire for ages and it just gives you a good warm and fuzzy feeling? God put that in us, right? To be able to find, it, um, you know, that experience where you're really passionate about something. You know, there's that, there's that sense where you just get a hold of something. You're like, man, that's, that just gets me going. That passion is awesome. To want to dance when we hear good music. You know, God put that in us. To be able to um, enjoy learning new things. Some people just love to learn, you know, and, and it gives you a good feeling when you've understood something. God put that in us as well. There's pleasure in that. When, to laugh when we hear a joke. Right, to experience excitement when good news comes our way. You know, a friend is expecting a baby. Wow, that's so awesome. That made my day. This is a feeling that God put inside of us. To be able to experience butterflies when we're in love. <laughs> you know, that's something God put in us. All of this was God's design for us and it was, and it was good, right? It's a good thing. And so as I grew up in the church, there was all this, always this sort of poor reputation that Christians are killjoys, you know. You, you become a Christian and then, okay, that's, that's great. You found Jesus. Now here's the list of things you shouldn't do, <laughs> you know. That's, that's not the purpose of finding faith in Jesus, right? Life becomes this thing where, you know, oh, we're supposed to put off all of the pleasurable, fun experiences that you can have. But we need to remember God actually designed and created us for, to, to be able to experience pleasurable experiences in all of its fullness, right? And so what's going on here then? You know, there's a, whole, there's a bit of tension here, isn't there? He said pleasures is meaningless. It's not the, not the point of life, and yet we can experience them. And, and, and we know that to be true from a very young age when we gave Vivian um, her, uh, you know, Elsa Barbie doll and her face lit up as she tore the wrapping off and, oh, my goodness, can you open it? You know, this sort of thing, that excitement that she felt. We know that, right? And so what are we to do? What's the challenge? How do we deal properly with the pleasures that are um, in our life and at hand to us? What's the right thing to do, right? That's what we're seeking, and I think the greatest challenge here um, is that pleasures can quickly become problems for us, right, if we're not careful, <laughs> right? While it's all well and good to find pleasure in this life, pleasurable things have a way of becoming distorted when they're taken out of the context of our relationship with God, right? There's, it's almost like God gave us the ability to experience pleasure, but he wanted that to happen within the context of our relationship with him and the way he designed our lives to be, right? Things can start out as a wow experience that felt good 
just the way God designed it to feel, and then they become distorted because we take them, we, we kind of forget God in that. And our priority goes off of, wow, thanks for that, God. That was awesome. You know, and there's a clear conscience before God as we experience it. And then we take it out of that context and it becomes distorted. And our, and our mind just goes, wow, maybe that thing is actually the God of my life. <laughs> you know, and then, and then it goes downhill. It's kind of like sex was designed for marriage, right? In the marriage relationship, when you take it out, that's when it goes downhill. That's not the way God intended. Same thing. Any pleasurable experience we have in our life, it's supposed to be lived out with a clear conscience before God. And when we take it out of there, it's, uh, it becomes distorted. And so I was thinking, how do we, how do we bring this into, um, you know, something that, you know, we can understand a bit, bit easier as well with our faith, what sort of, um, you know, difficulty might a pleasure cause in our life. And you might remember the parable of the sower in Luke 8. Um, if, if you know it, you might even remember that the word pleasure is in there. In, and, and as Jesus describes the four different types of soil in there, one of, them, one of the types of soil that the seed lands in is, um, is some thorny soil, kind of like got weeds in there. And, and this is what he says about it in Luke chapter 8. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Right? So that's the hard path. The soil lands on pretty much no soil at all. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing or the time of temptation, they fall away. Right, so a bit of rocks in the soil makes it harder to, to become a solid plant, to be fruitful. And here it is. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, life's riches, and life's pleasures. And they do not mature. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. And so what Jesus is telling us as we come to a more sort of rounded view of of pleasures in our lives is that these things can quickly become something that take a hold of us, right, if we're not careful. If we're going to take them out of the context of our relationship with God, you know, we kind of, there's times in your life we go, hey, that was was pretty good, might just... um, you know, and you, and you get a, maybe a bit of conviction, mm, shouldn't have done that or something, but you don't, you, you kind of just want to separate your relationship with God from that experience you just had. <laughs> you know, these type of things can happen in our life. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, that, that type of thing is going to choke out your faith. It's going to just ruin your relationship with God, ruin um, your ability to become a mature Christian. You know, someone who's a mature follower of Christ one of those things, you could, you could do a series on that, the worries of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life. One of those things, when you take pleasure out of your relationship with God and just live it out in, um, in your own way without him, it becomes distorted. And so what happens is we don't get to become mature. We become maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for 20 years and we end up being like a, like a one-year-old Christian 20 times. You know, we kind of just never, never get to that point where 
It's like, it's like this pleasure, this addiction almost holds us back from finding maturity, being able to produce fruit in our lives the way God intended. So that sounds like a pretty, um, pretty challenging thing for us. Hey, that's something that we don't want to have happen. It's not something I want to have happen in my life. And I've experienced this, you know. I've been through times in my life where my eyes come away from God and I sort of neglect talking to him about certain things I'm enjoying over here in my life. And, um, and this is what happens. My maturity gets choked out, you know. You can tell the difference between a, a plant that is mature, has, um, you know, fruit growing out of it, and then this plant that just doesn't seem to grow. You know, it's been a whole year and it hasn't grown like half an inch and it's just struggling and the soil's dry around it and there's weeds, you know, maybe another plant's attached itself to it. This type of thing happens for us and it's not, it's not the life that God designed for us. Some people go on living this way, they, they live their Christian faith out like that and it's not the life he designed for us. And so what's our response going to be? How, how is it for you? How do you experience pleasures in your life? I think the first thing we could do is ask God to um, help us to find joy in every part of our life. Man, I, I want to be able to experience every pleasure God wants me to experience and to experience that in full. I just want to be happy and joyful in my life, you know? <laughs> I don't want to be like, oh, sad and nothing gets me, you know, excited or joyful, right? I don't want to be that person. And I don't think God wants any of us to be that person. So that could be one way to respond. God, help me to find joy in my work. Help me to find joy in my relationships. Help me to find joy with my family. Help me to find joy in just the simplest things. Because that's going to actually help us get through life, this journey. You know, It's going to help us um, you know, find passion for life again, which can be easily lost. The other thing you might want to respond um, through is by saying, all right, God, there are some things in my life, some pleasures that, I'm, that, I'm, that I've taken out of the context of my relationship with you and they are becoming distorted. And so maybe that is, this, that, maybe that is the case for you and today you might like to say, yep, I need, I need some help with that, God. Would you help me uh, put this back into the right context? Would you help this thing just to, just to go back where it's supposed to go in my connection with you, in my relationship with your son, Jesus? So there's two ways to respond. You might have another way in your heart that you know God's asking you to respond. Um, I want to invite you to do that and we're going to pray and then we'll sing together a last song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you designed us just to experience uh, good things and to enjoy them and, and to enjoy this life in its fullness. I praise you for that, God. You're just so worthy to be praised for that, that you um, yeah, knit us together in a way that we, would, that we would know what it means to be happy. And so I pray that that would be true for us. And then also, God, the things in our life, these pleasures that have become distorted as they've take, been taken out of the context of our relationship with you. I pray that we'd be able to just come and say, Lord, here's the honest truth and I need your help because we can't change this by ourselves, right? We can't free ourselves from these things. We need you to put um, our pleasures back in the right context. We need your help with that.
We thank you that you're gracious to be able to accept us even if we haven't been doing this. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with that. I pray that, and the goal would be that we'd be mature followers of Christ, that we wouldn't be choked out in our, in our faith, that we would um, know your love and your grace, Lord. Pray that in your precious name. Amen. Amen.